Well, good morning. It is my delight to um, introduce our guest speaker this morning. Um, Dr. Chuck DeGroat is pastor of prof- uh, professor of pastoral care and counseling at Western Theological Seminary. He's also the co-founder and senior fellow at the Newbegin House of Studies in San Francisco. Um, and one of my favorite authors, and I'm not just saying that to pander because he's here today. Um, his book's Leaving Egypt, Toughest People to Love and Wholeheartedness. Uh, have been three staples on, on my bookshelf that I've gone to. Um, also a fellow 90s alumni of Dort College along with me. And so ask you to please join me in welcoming to share with us this morning, Dr. Chuck DeGroat. Good morning. Man, it took me two, two songs um, after that first one to uh, compose myself, and still I feel like I'm on the verge of, of one of those cries, one of those moments where you weep and weep and it just keeps coming. Um, we're singing that line, God is good, and I'm sitting there thinking, this was a stage where, I'm sorry, this is a stage where I I sat over there playing trombone in the band, and this is a stage where I'd get up and um, participate in talent shows, and this is a chapel that was far less attended, by the way, back then. I look at what John and Aaron have done, and it's extraordinary, but this is a chapel that I come to, and a campus that I walk across, and... um, I think back to those years, and they were hard years, they were complicated years, and they were beautiful years, and they were sacred years. And to the great embarrassment of my parents, when I walked across the stage to graduate, I, uh, I walked across in bare feet. My parents were mortified. But I said, Mom and Dad, this was such a sacred place for me, such an important place for me. And, um, and so it's a great blessing to be back here this morning. Thank you for that. Um, Greetings from Western Theological Seminary, uh, where I bring greetings from Marta Vandertop. Do any of you know Marta? Do you remember Marta Vandertop? Can can you do something really cheesy for me for a moment? I want to bless Marta. So on the count of three, I want you all to say, hi, Marta. Is that okay? So one, two, three. Hi, Marta. Marta, they love you. Thank you for that. That's great. So I was an imaginative kid. I was a kid filled with wonder. I loved to play. I loved to create. Back in the day, uh, the first Star Wars movie had come out, and I loved to pretend that I was Luke Skywalker. Do you all know Luke Skywalker? Do you remember Luke Skywalker? Um, I, the the stormtroopers were after me, uh, the Imperial troopers, and it was up to me to save, uh, the, to save the rebellion, to save the world. And so I'd hop on my bike, which was my X-Wing fighter, TIE fighters in pursuit, and I'd drive down Belver Drive. Belver Drive was just kind of the beginning of the Death Star, and then I'd go in for the kill. I was going to blow up the Death Star. I'd take a right on Aaron Drive. I'd take another left on 7th Street, and eventually I'd come to the end of it, and I would blow up the Death Star, and I'd, yes, yes, full of wonder. And then you grow up. People start asking you questions like, Chuck, what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and it's not acceptable to say, I want to be Luke Skywalker when I grow up. 
I've got a daughter in 11th grade now. Um, I'd love for her to come to Dort College. She's uncertain at this point. But I've got a daughter in 11th grade, and she came to me the other day, and she said, Dad, there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure. And teachers are coming in and saying, I've got to take my ACTs and my SATs, and I've got to start doing college visits. And she says, Dad, it just feels like so much I remember when my daughter was full of wonder and full of playfulness and full of creativity, and now she comes home every day full of stress. Can you relate at all? What are you going to be when you grow up? I feel like in a way our our lives begin in the Garden of Eden, full of wonder, full of imagination, full of play, full of creativity, full of life, full of, of glory. And then we eventually make our way to Genesis chapter 3 where we hear the whisper in our ear, maybe it's not enough. Maybe you're not enough. Maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe you're not pretty enough. Maybe maybe you don't have what it takes. So I invite you this morning to open up your Bibles if you have them, open up your smartphones if you have them, to Genesis chapter 3. I believe it might be up there as well, to Genesis chapter 3, a story that I want want to invite you to find yourselves in this morning as we talk about the dance of intimacy and the dance of hiddenness. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you wonder at times what Adam and Eve were thinking? Do you wonder what was going through their minds? For me, growing up, what I heard was that Adam and Eve were proud and that I shouldn't be proud like they were, that they arrogantly grabbed for the fruit as a result of their pride and that I shouldn't arrogantly grab for the fruit in my life. That's the way the story was told to me. But, but I asked myself the question, what was really going on inside Adam and Eve? And could we be more alike than we think? I I do think that our early sense of wonder and creativity and playfulness give way eventually to those big questions. Am I thin enough? Am I successful enough? Am I smart enough? Am I athletic enough? Maybe the core question is, am I enough? The serpent whispers in your ear, God is holding out on you. There's more. There's so much more. There are other means available to you than dependence on Him. 
I wonder sometimes if Adam and Eve's first grasp of the fruit was a grasp for some sense of control in the midst of their questions. Questions about God's goodness. Questions about their own goodness. Their own capacity. I don't know about you, but when I read Genesis chapter 3, I feel like I'm reading my story. I, I doubt God's goodness sometimes. I, I had the privilege of growing up in the faith, and when I was young and full of wonder, I didn't doubt God's goodness, but eventually the questions started coming, and I began to wonder, God, are you really for me? Do you really want the best for me? I reach for something that will fill the deep insecurity inside, something that I can grasp and control that will satisfy me and make me feel just a little bit better about myself. And I hide. I hide in all kinds of different ways. I've got all kinds of different ways, creative ways of hiding. I don't know about you, but I see my story in Genesis chapter 3. Do you see your story in Genesis chapter 3? A few years ago, I found a picture of my sister and I in one of those blow-up boats with paddles. We had an above-ground pool. It wasn't a very big pool, but I remember when we filled this boat up and we started paddling, we would go back and forth over and over and over again, back and forth from one side of the pool to the other. And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. And I remember looking at that picture thinking, oh, we had so much fun. We were so full of wonder. And, and even at that moment, I began to cry. I began to weep because I remember thinking, yeah, it was so good. It was so fun. We were so connected we played hard back in the day, but I, but I also remember the days that I was in the pool alone and I turned that inflatable boat over and it became my cave. It was a cave that I could hide under. It was a cave that would keep me safe from my mom's anger. It was a cave that would keep me safe from my dad's distance. And then at some point my mom would come outside, Chuck, Chuck, are you okay? Are you out there? And I had to come out of hiding eventually. Now, now I'm 47 years old, proud Dort graduate. I've got degrees and titles and books. And you'd think that accumulating these things would make you feel a little bit better about yourself, right? But they become new and more creative ways of hiding. And sometimes when I go to faculty meetings over at the seminary, I still feel like I'm 10 years old. I still feel like I'm not enough. I still feel like I don't have what it takes. Can you see your story in Genesis chapter 3 like I see my story in Genesis chapter 3? You see, I, I believe we live between two dances. I believe we live between the dance of intimacy and the dance of hiddenness. The dance of intimacy and the dance of hiddenness. First, there's the dance of intimacy. And this first dance of intimacy is premised on God's goodness and our original goodness and worthiness and dignity and God's great love for us. In the dance of intimacy, God says to us, I am the Lord your God, do not fear. God says, says to us, you are my treasured possession. He says, you're my beloved daughter, you're my beloved son, everything I have is yours. In the first dance, the dance of intimacy, we are inexplicably held and loved and known. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. In the dance of intimacy, Jesus goes to the ends of the earth and beyond to pursue us, to draw us back in, to reconnect us to the dance. 
And I wonder, have you had experiences, tastes of intimacy, perhaps this morning in worship, tastes of the dance? There's a dance of intimacy, and then there's the dance of hiddenness. The dance of hiddenness says to us, you're not enough. It's not enough. It raises questions within you. Do I, do I have what it takes? Like when I, when I graduate from Dort with my degree, will I really have what it takes to make it in the world? Am I pretty enough? Am I, am I smart enough? Am I spiritual enough? Will I be accepted? In the second dance, we wonder about God. We wonder if God is holding out on us. We wonder if God can be, can be trusted. But even more, we wonder if we can be trusted. We wonder if there's something wrong with us, like wrong to the core. And some of us even feel like God couldn't possibly look at us. God couldn't possibly see us in our sins. So we better cover ourselves up in fig leaves. We better make sure that we protect ourselves so that we can survive this brutal world. The dance of hiddenness is exhausting. The dance of hiddenness is our exhausting self-salvation project. We stand between two dances, the dance of intimacy and the dance of hiddenness. And I can't help but when I come back to Dort College and I walk into this building but wonder, what was it like for me back then as a college student, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old? How was I doing my dance between the dance of intimacy and hiddenness? What choices did I make back in the day that contributed to the masks that I wear, even the masks that I wear today? I, I suspect that you can relate. I know you can relate because for the last 20 years, I spent a lot of time with people. I'm a pastor. I'm a therapist. I'm a professor. I listen to people's stories for a living. And this isn't something that affects a quarter of you or a half of you or even three quarters of you. We all wrestle with shame. We all wonder whether or not we're enough. When I was pastoring out in San Francisco, I had a uh, wealthy, young Silicon Valley star come into my office. He had cashed out of Facebook. He had made his millions. He was developing a new app. And there that day, he was laying on the floor of my office in the fetal position, weeping, saying, Chuck, I'm a phony. I'm a phony, and I'm just waiting for the world to find out. Not too long ago, I had a 25-year-old woman come into my office. She had just been married probably two or three weeks, weeks before to the, to the man she called the man of her dreams. She said, Chuck, I have to show you something. She slowly rolled up her sleeves to show me the methodical way that she cuts on herself. She says, Chuck, I put the pain on the outside so that I don't have to feel the pain on the inside. I recently sat with a college student in a town where I live, Holland, Michigan. The college student says, I live between a 4.0 and a 3.8. When I when I'm at the 4.0, I'm, I'm a success. When I'm at the 3.8, I feel like a, f a failure. And where I land between the two um, sort of represents how I feel about myself that day, that week, that month, that year. Can you relate? Do you find yourself in Genesis chapter 3? Do you find yourself in this dance between the dance of intimacy and the dance of hiddenness? I think we can all relate in one way or another. When I was at Dort, I battled anxiety, I battled depression, and I think very few people knew. 
I'd occasionally go to a professor or maybe to a friend and try to share a little bit about it, maybe sit down with a counselor, but never really felt like I quite connected with someone or maybe sabotaged it. I don't know. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't feel known. Spent two years in Chicago, went off to seminary, spent my first two years of seminary climbing the ladder, trying to get the good grades, trying to be the good spiritual, theologically minded uh, seminarian that I was supposed to be. Then the counseling professor took me aside at one point, and he looked at me in a way that only counseling people can look at you, like that's what I do now. <laughs> looked at me in a way that only a counselor can look at you, and he said, it feels like you're carrying a great burden, Chuck. It feels like you're carrying a great burden. All the anxiety, all the weight, all the pressure came out in the next half hour in convulsive tears. I still think if I go back to his office, there'd be a puddle on the floor. Can you relate to this story? It felt so good to me to be pursued. It felt so good to me to be seen. Do you have anyone in your life who sees you? Is there anyone in your life, a professor, a, pa a pastor, a friend, who knows you, who sees beyond the facade? One of the things I notice about Genesis chapter 3 is that there's a question lodged in there. It's the first question that God asks in all of Scripture. And it's not, how do you get yourself into this mess? It's not, what's wrong with you? The question is, where are you? Where are you? you see, God comes looking. It seems like on every page of Scripture, in every covenant of Scripture, God comes looking. God comes near. God comes in Jesus Christ looking for us. Where are you? God comes even more near in the Spirit. Where are you? God longs for us. God pursues us. Do you long to be known like I long to be known? The God of the universe is pursuing you, calling out, where are you? So that's the question I have for you this morning as I close. Where are you? Where are you in the midst of this story? Do you long to be known? I, uh, I, I think about it sometimes. I think, I think there's some of you here this morning who may be wrestling with porn addiction. I want you to know that God sees you. God isn't ashamed of you. God isn't here this morning to say, oh, that's disgusting. God is here to love you. God is here to meet you in the midst of it. There are some of you who've been sexually assaulted in this room this morning. And God doesn't turn his face away from you, but God looks at you and says, you're worthy, you're beautiful, you're full of delight, full of dignity. Are you here this morning feeling empty and lost? Are you here this morning depressed? Are you here this morning full of anxiety? Are you here this morning feeling betrayed by someone who cares about you? God says, where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm coming after you. I'm here to pursue you. I love you. So let me leave you with two things. Two, two realities that I think are born not only out of Scripture, but out of all that I've studied from the social science, from the world of psychology. Two things that I think are invitations to you to a life beyond the dance of hiddenness, to a life back into the dance of intimacy. And the first one is this. The antidote to shame, the antidote to the dance of hiddenness, the antidote to our not-enoughness is Vulnerability. Would you dare in this day, would you dare in this week to share a piece of your story with someone you can trust? 
Would you dare to risk finding someone that might be at least somewhat safe to you? You'd say, you know, I don't, I don't remember a lot of what Chuck said the other day, but that thing about the dance of hiddenness, that stuff about the not enoughness, I relate to that. Can I tell you a little bit about my story? Would you take the risk to move toward another? And would, would others of you show up with empathy and be there to listen, to be a safe listening ear to the person who brings their story to you? That's the first thing. Would you share a bit of your story? And lastly, would you listen for the one who says, where are you? We live in a really busy world. We live in a hyper-connected world. I woke up this morning and alerts were coming in on my phone about Donald Trump and Matt Lauer and all sorts of different kinds of things. It's so easy to jump into our lives, jump into our world, the assignment that we need to do, the tasks that we've been given. Would you give yourself some time for silence and simply listen? To the one who's looking for you, to the one who loves you, to the one who sees you in your brokenness, in your addiction, in your pain, in your unworthiness, in your not enoughness, who says, I love you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And I suspect that some of you this morning, even after a Thanksgiving break, come with burdens. The one who sees you in the midst of your burdens longs to pursue you. The one who sees you in the midst of your burdens longs to know you and to receive you. Come. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you invite us to come, you pursue, and we long to trust you in that. Some of us have come this morning with great doubts, others this morning with great confidence. Some of us have shown up here to worship this morning with deep sadness, others with profound joy. Some find themselves in a dance of hiddenness, others in a dance of intimacy. No matter where we are this morning, God, would you come looking with your sacred, where are you? Would you show up in Christ and through the Spirit to meet us where we most need you? In the name of Jesus, amen.